You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. For the first time in the regular season for 2021, it is the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. I have been looking forward to this. I don't know that John Boyle has been looking forward to it of quite as much. Of course I have, Are you Jen. sure? Highlight of my week. Okay. Work-wise, I'll take your word. I'll take your word for it. Word? Word? I, apparently, this is going to be a challenge today. I well, will take your word for it today. Like the Seahawks starters, we didn't have a preseason. <laughs> you know what? That is a good point. I feel like we have to work back into things. The Seahawks are playing the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. It is the week one matchup. It is an early kick in Seattle. I know what John and I are going to be doing early on Sunday morning as we get ready for the game. But I do want to put a plug in that if fans have missed getting together and they want a chance to do that at the stadium... There is a chance to be at Lumen Field on Sunday. Fans 21 and over can go and enjoy the kickoff viewing party. The game's on big screens. You've got musical performances. They've got food trucks coming in, so you've got plenty of options for food. And you can take your picture with the Seahawks Super Bowl ring, the Lombardi Trophy. Seahawks.com slash viewing party is where you will get all the details and be able to get your tickets for that. So, I expect that there are a lot of fans who are trying to figure out what is going to happen on Sunday, not just with their pregame plans, but for what we expect to see on the field. So, John, here's what I thought we would do. I feel like there's still so many things we don't know about the offense that it's easier to start with what we do know. And the guys who made the roster on both sides of the ball, dive into that just a little bit. Get an idea of what we might see from the offense, and then we'll look at the Colts. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that. I think it was very much by design. Part of the reason we didn't see all those starters out there is it's hard to judge a brand-new offense with a new coordinator when you're not seeing Russell Wilson. You're not seeing DK Metcalf, Ty Lockett, all those guys. So um, that's going to be, I think, to me, the number one storyline with this team, other than obviously the wins and losses, is how does this new offense look? We saw... You know, the Seahawks were so good last year for half a season on offense, then they cooled off. They they know that, you know, they need to be more consistent throughout the year, and they're hoping Shane Waldron can help them get there. Okay, well, here are the pieces that he has to work with on offense. Let's just go by position groups. Look, quarterback, nothing surprises us there. It's Russell Wilson. Geno's the backup. You got a local product, though, as the third straight. Yeah, Jake Luton, the guy from Marysville Pilchuck product who came in uh, you know, pretty recently to join the team. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that develops in terms of do they want to carry three quarterbacks all year? That isn't something they've done in the past, but they saw enough intrigue in Jake Luton to put him on their roster for now and see how that develops. Okay, so the wide receivers that that quarterback group will have to throw to, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, D. Eskridge. How good was it to see him out in that Exciting last season? Exciting player. Game? Even, you know, limited snaps. We saw the explosiveness on the end around. We saw... The 19-yard catch, and, I, you know, he might need to ease in a little bit in terms of playing time because he got in so late in the game, but I think he's a guy who can make an impact even in limited touches right away. I mean, that speed. Boy, yeah. did it jump up. You would never guess that he had been dealing with a toe injury based on how fast he could still get down the field. And it's adding that speed to already an incredibly fast group. It's, you know, there's enough good athletes in the NFL if a team has one burner, a defense can kind of figure it out. But when you got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Andy Eskridge out there, 
there's not enough fast guys on any right. defense to handle that. Yeah, corners are not going to be able to handle that. You add a little bit of misdirection. Mm-hmm. And I, I cannot wait to see the highlights that that group makes. Freddie Swain and Penny Hart. Freddie Swain had a nice preseason. He We've really seen did. that from him before, though. Yeah, I mean, he was very opportunistic last year. He didn't play a ton, but when he got on the field, he made some plays. He had a couple touchdowns. And, you know, the word opportunistic kind of comes to mind again, where he came into camp, we're kind of thinking, second-round pick, D. Eskridge is going to be the number three guy, but he was hurt, and, and uh, excuse me, Freddie Swain stepped into that role and he had a great camp. He looks really good. He's also most likely going to be returning punts based on what we saw in the preseason game. So he's going to have a role, and he's just a real solid football player. Do a and, lot. He can do a lot of things. Well, and I wonder how any of those touches are going to be split with the tight ends because For traditionally sure. in this offense, you do not think about the tight end as being the target as, as the pass catcher. But Gerald Everett, Will Disley, and Tyler Mabry are in this group. Gerald Everett did not come to Seattle to work with Shane Waldron to not touch the ball this year. Exactly. I mean, we've had this conversation a, a, a few times of, you know, who's going to be the number three receiver this year. In terms of targets and receiving yards, it could just as easily be Gerald Everett as an actual player listed as a receiver, especially, again, if, if Eskridge needs to kind of be eased back in. I think we're going to see a ton of Gerald Everett. They'll do a lot of different things with him. We've seen it in practice. We've seen it in, you know, if you go look at what the Rams did with their tight ends, they they use them in a lot of different ways. Yeah, there are a lot of packages that are tight end heavy, and they run them frequently. This is not just going to be a special one-off. This is going to be a consistent part of the offense. Exactly. I mean, you go that one preseason game that the tight ends all played, First play of the game for the offense, Disley and uh, Everett yeah. were both on the field. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of 12 personnel in there. We will note that Colby Parkinson begins the season on the injured reserve list. That means that he's got to miss at least three games. Here's the good news. We have seen him without the walking boot. Pete Carroll says that he is running. He is making progress. He's just not going to be ready for week one. And I think, John, there was a point in time you weren't sure if he was going to take the field at all this year. This is Fairly good news. Yeah, I mean, you you hear when when he goes down with that foot injury, and then you hear Pete Carroll say it's similar to the one from last year. The immediate reaction is, oh no, he's going to miss most, if not all, the year because that one last year cost him most of the season, and he looked so good before that injury in camp. So to hear that it's not as serious, and as you said, he's out there running with the trainers. He's you know he looks like he's running pretty good. He's just not quite ready for football. And the thing to remember here for fans is they changed the IR rules this year. So when you hear a guy going on injured reserve. It's not necessarily as serious as it used to be where, oh, no, IR. I mean, a while ago it was the whole season, but even before it was six games. Now you only need to miss three games. So it, it can be a fairly insignificant injury, and a team can still give a guy time to recover while getting that roster spot back. And you do not have to designate them exactly. to return the multiple same way. Can you it. can get multiple guys back. Okay, running back, fullback group, and I kind of throw in fullback. I, I honestly do we, don't even know if we fullback have a fullback anymore. anymore. I, mean, <laughs> I, think, I think he's a full-time <laughs> linebacker now. He's gone to the other side. It would not surprise me. We will get to that in just a second. Zero surprise here, though. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Travis Homer. It was nice to see him get some snaps. DJ Dallas has looked phenomenal in the preseason. Alex Collins, I got to be honest, I thought he was kind of a placeholder. You know, like when they brought him Uh in last year, I thought, eh, you know, he's a placeholder. He's getting some reps in camp. He's looked good. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Going into camp, you think, well, if everybody's healthy, do you need him? And they've got all these other guys. They brought him in late last year because of injuries, and he did well. But he basically played his way to the point of they couldn't cut him because he's just too darn good. So, you know, normally you wouldn't have five running backs necessarily, but when you think of 
Dallas and Homer in particular are big special teams contributors. That kind of makes makes it easier to keep them on the roster. And then just everything we saw at Alex Collins made him too hard to get rid of. So, you know, I don't know how it'll be interesting to see how they – we know Carson's going to be the guy. He'll be the starter. But how do the touches go after that? Who's the third down guy? I'll be curious to see how all that looks. Well, and what do those plays even look like, right? We're yeah. not actually – I don't think, just based on what I've seen – and what we saw in the preseason, I don't think there's a lot of straight handoffs no, in this I think, offense. No, I think this run game might be a little more, um, you know, I, I don't know if the, what the word I'm looking for here is, but just a little more dynamic, you know, maybe a little more misdirection to it. I remember early on, I can't remember which running back it was, one of them kind of referred to as being a running back friendly offense. I don't think that necessarily meant, hey, we're going to get to get just 40 carries a game between us and pound the ball. I think they meant that it's the kind of offense that's designed to make it, you know, create open lanes for us, make it a little easier on us. Well, and we did see some of those open lanes, and we have seen some nice runs. But the guy that we were talking about, I don't even know if he belongs in this group anymore, Nick Ballore, he had to step in on defense. Now, it is not as odd as you might think. If you have not followed Nick Ballore's career, perhaps you did not realize that he was a linebacker in college. In fact, in 2016, he recorded 83 tackles for San Francisco. Yeah, he started now, so- like 10 games that year. I yes. Think. Some of that came on special teams. A lot of that came as an inside linebacker. He's been working a lot with the linebackers in practice. I don't know where they're going to use him most. Certainly special teams I mean, as yeah, a captain. Yeah, but- for sure. Special teams is his main role. But it, it was funny because you go back early in camp, I think it was uh, Radigan and Cody Barton both got hurt at the same time, so all of a sudden they were just lacking depth. So they, you know, switched his jersey color and put him out there. We've seen that from time to time over the course of the season in practices or maybe scout team because he does have that background. But usually it's been okay, it's a week, they need a body, and then he goes back to fullback. But it's pretty much become a full-time move. I believe we even changed his uh, position on Seahawks.com. It was a big moment. Well, we, now that's We made official. that, we huddled up and said, should we do it? And uh, got the okay to change him. So we're, we're calling him a linebacker now. And Did he's number two on the depth chart behind Bobby Wagner right now, middle line. Did you get the okay from Nick Ballore himself? Uh, or I did, did not. Because you know that to, could cause a Twitter spat. Well, I'll have to, I'll well, check with him. All right, we'll check in with him. Last offensive group before we hear from Pete Carroll on what Russell Wilson and Shane Waldron have been doing together. Offensive line, look, I am relieved to say Dwayne Brown with great certainty that he is now playing week one. That was a big question. Yeah. I mean, having him back is just massive. I mean, Russell Wilson kept bringing it up throughout camp of, you know, you need that guy out there. He's an elite left tackle. I know he's 36 and he's been playing forever, but he last year was still one of the very best in the NFL and he looks great. He said he feels better than he did at this time last year. So that's, Having him back and seemingly very happy. I know things maybe didn't go exactly how either side wanted, but as, as Dwayne Brown said yesterday, they reached a compromise and everyone seems happy. So what we're projecting the offensive line, at least the starting unit, to look like it will be Dwayne Brown at left tackle, Damian Lewis at left guard. That is a new position for the rookie. Center, I believe. I think it's going to be Kyle, Kyle Fuller. Fuller. That's, that's how it is on the depth chart right now. And Based off, you know, Ethan Posick all the time he missed. It's in what we're hearing from Pete Carroll. It does sound like Fuller, but I'll be curious to see how that one plays out. That might be one where they let him kind of continue to compete and. Maybe maybe there's a chance for Posick to win it back at some time during the year, depending on how that goes. Yeah, Gabe Jackson is going to be your right guard, and Brandon Shell will be your right tackle. You've got some backups there, Jamarco Jones, Jake Curran, Stone Forsyth in there. I, I don't know that there's any surprise. I, I think it's just nice to be able to say Dwayne's name in there, but I, yes. I don't think any of the rest of that is 
No, I mean, center was the one that we really were waiting to see how that played out, and injuries kind of settled that one, unfortunately, instead of an on-field competition. But we'll see how that plays out. You can never have too many of them as the years go. As the year goes on, I should say, that you always need to have a backup at those positions. Now, we've talked about who the Seahawks have on offense. What we can't wait to see is what the offense looks like. And while we are going to get our first look on Sunday, here's what Pete Carroll knows to be true about Russ and Shane Waldron. What's maybe most special about it is, and I'm hoping it shows, is the relationship between Shane and Russ. You know what they what they've been able to do together and to get to this point, and the excitement they both feel, to, you know, to to turn out this offense and 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 maximize you know all of the strengths of it and all that. And uh, as we learn and as we grow, you know, we'll, we'll we'll find out, you know, how far along we are. But that that's something I'm really excited about because that's been it's been really obvious that there's something going on there. It's good chemistry. To me, that word relationship is the one we've heard the most from Pete Carroll. And I mean, obviously, everybody out there is important, but how those two see things eye to eye, how how they work together, you know, on game day in the headsets, if those two are clicking, I mean, that's the biggest piece for this offense to work. Well, and I remember when Shane Waldron was announced and hired, his opening press conference, he had at least three phrases that we hear regularly in Russell Wilson's press conference. I don't think that was planted. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's intentional that you've got two guys that were on the same page before install ever happened, right? They've got the same mindset. It will translate on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's Russell Wilson from back when we talked to him and, you know, as soon as his hire was made, he's been on board the whole time. I, you know, I don't think he was the one making the hire, but he was involved in the discussions a little bit. And he, this is, I think this is going to be a very good partnership. Well, and I tell you what, let's hear just one more thing on Russell Wilson. It is hard to imagine that he could get any better when you look at the body of work over the course of his career. But there is perhaps, perhaps something a little different about Russ. The relationship with, with what we're doing and, and, and how, how attuned he is to that just generates a, maybe in a, another level of excitement from him, you know, for, for what he's, he's hoping to uh, you know, put out there in, in, through his work and, and the potential that he can feel by the, the way we're interacting and communicating and stuff that can lead us to, you know, some really cool stuff and, and, uh, and really help our guys maximize what they bring too. So um, there, there's, he's got a little, a little special juice about him, you know, and, and uh, I think that's probably what I'm mentioning about the chemistry between he and the coordinator. Uh, we cannot wait to see that on Sunday. And you know what? I'd like the Seahawks defense to give Russ maybe a couple of takeaways, give him a few more opportunities to get down the field. You certainly have a lot of playmakers in that front seven. How about if we take a look at the defensive line to start? We'll, we'll get to the, the real fun guys at the end, although I don't know. Carlos hey, they, Dunlap. The guys I, up front are fun. Look, don't, he keeps don't posting sell them things. Short. No, I know. I was... I know. That was poor choice of words. I hope those guys don't hear it. I'm just going to say this. Carlos Dunlap has provided me with so many life mantras, and I have known him for <laughs> less than a year. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with this. He needs to create a line of T-shirts. So you've got Carlos Dunlap, who is back. You acquired Kerry Hyder Jr. in the offseason. Daryl Taylor might be the one that intrigues fans most, and after what we saw in the preseason, I know why. Yeah, Jen, Daryl Taylor has been a guy that's, I mean, he's, We've been so excited about him just to finally see him. There's this whole year of, you know, will he get back? Will he get back? And unfortunately, he missed the entire season. The word every teammate has used when you ask about him is explosive. And we saw it in the preseason games. He's just so fast flying off the edge. And he's going to get a chance to play a lot because it sure sounds like he's going to be in that dual strong side linebacker role and an edge rusher, which is, you know, the, the, the 
the prototype in this defense is Bruce Irvin. I'm not saying he's going to come out and be Bruce Irvin right away, but that's sort of what they're looking at him to be, that guy that can he can drop in coverage, he can set the edge against the run, and then he can get after the passer. But that distinction is important when you take a look at the breakdown of this roster because they've got 10 offensive linemen. You have three linebackers listed on this roster, right? If you just looked at that, you would say, hey, where's the depth at linebacker, right? But what you just laid out is an important point for fans to recognize. This is actually a slightly different defense than what we have seen the Seahawks play in the last few years. It is much more of a bare front than in yeah, the last. It's a much yeah. There's a lot of three four elements to this defense, and it's you know it's not just Errol Taylor, Alton Robinson. We've seen that role. Benson Mayoa can play that role. So it is it, when you talk about the the linebackers listed on the roster, you're really talking about the off ball, the Bobby Wagner's, the Cody Barton's, that weak side and strong side guy. And when you add all the edge rushers, you can play that strong. I'm sorry, as I say weak side and middle, the weak side or the strong side guy is almost a defensive end now. Yeah. And uh, also on that list of defensive linemen, Puna Ford, Al Woods in the middle. It's nice to have the big guy back. And you've got Brian Monet. Those will be your nose tackles. Yep. Puna Ford, I think, is he's going to be really good this year. I, I mean, he's Are been, you he's that been he good. Wasn't very good. No, I'm saying he's been good. I think he started to show some pass rush as the season went on last year that would add a whole new dynamic to his game if that improves. And I think it will. So I, I think he could be, you know, all of a sudden a guy who's not just. Big stout run stopper, but getting after the quarterback quite a bit as well. Well, and you know that uh, you could get Jordan Brooks going after the quarterback. Cody Barton would like that. Bobby probably lobbies for that. That is your linebacking core. No surprises there. You got Bobby as the defensive captain again. Yeah, no the, when the sh- when the captains came out this year was not shocking. <laughs> it was, <you> know, <laughs> ooh, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and Nick Floyd. That was Floor. very predictable. Yes. We like predictable. That is, uh, that's going to be the guys that you see in the middle of the field. Now, here are the really interesting positions, and I, and I say this for a couple of reasons, not because of personalities, but look, the Seahawks have made 19 moves at cornerback since August 26th. That that's is a lot, lot of recent, of yeah, a lot of recent turnover. Right. So what we think we are going to see is Trey Flowers and DJ Reed. Yes. And that's not a big shock. I mean, really, when you looked at they, I know they had competition on both sides, but really, to me, it always came down to three guys for two spots. It was Witherspoon, Reed, and Flowers seemed like the most likely three guys battling. It was obviously a little surprising that Witherspoon was traded, and you know he he looked like kind of a front runner for that job. But so to me, if you told me you know the beginning of camp we're going to see Reed or yeah, DJ Reed and Flowers as the starters, I'd say, okay, that's not too surprising. Now, if you told me every other cornerback on the roster will have been acquired in like the last week, okay, that's that's a little different. And that's where you kind of worry a little bit of how ready are they going to be week one. You know, I think, you know, especially Sydney, all those guys, but especially Sydney Jones has a ton of upside and could help this defense a lot down the road. But if you need Sydney Jones to play a bunch this week, we'll have to see how that goes. Well, and it might be helpful that it is a relatively inexperienced group of wide receivers for the Colts, right? You don't have T.Y. Hilton in there, and so maybe there's, I don't want to say I'm not going to say that, Jen. I I don't want to give him any bulletin board material. That's true. There's some talented players. A couple second-round picks out there. I'm not saying that there's not talented players. I I was saying T.Y. Hilton (laughs) isn't on the field. Fair enough. Give me a little something, Fair enough, I tell you what, safeties, no surprise, Jamal Adams, Quandre Digg, Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi, Ryan Neal. Here's where the question mark is... What do you do with Marquise Blair and who plays nickel? That's a great question. I, you know, I would have thought 
just because Blair won that role last year and looked so good in it before his injury, I would have thought, okay, he comes back and takes it back. And that's still very possible. And I think maybe long-term he does, but Ugo Amadi had a great camp. He's, he's, he played really well in that role last year, but he's come back and looked even better. So I, you know, one thing that was interesting, Pete Carroll was asked, does it have to be one of those guys? He said, no. And that you know, he said, no, that's a good question because I think you could see a situation where it might be matchup based of, you know, Blair's more your big nickel. If, if you're looking to match up with tight ends and early downs, if you're looking at just teams with a bigger slot receiver, whereas if it's the you know team spreading guys out on third and eight, then maybe it's a new Amadi situation. So I both those guys are too good of players to not be on the field at some point. Just how how that kind of breaks down is going to be fun to see. Well, we already know that Jamal Adams is one of the elite safeties in the NFL, and year two should be even better. Everything he's going to—he's in better control of everything that we're asking him. We've—we've—we've we've, um, we've ex, you know expanded the things that we're asking him to do uh, because we've had time to really work it out and get him ready for it. And and he's—he's uh, he's playing in a position that uh, a lot of the guys that I've coached over the years would give anything to be able to do the things he's doing. He's got a lot of really cool things that he does in the scheme. He's going to be called on to excel at them, of course, but they're, uh, we're really counting on his instincts and his awareness and, and the savvy that he brings to, to fit in. I love Pete Carroll talking about a lot of guys would kill to get to be in that role. Because, you know, I, I don't think a lot of players have had quite the freedom in Pete Carroll's defenses that Jamal Adams enjoys. And it's because he's such a unique player. And also, let's give some credit to Quandre Diggs. You can't give that kind of freedom to your strong safety if your free safety is not a hell of a player. Well, and I thought it was interesting. Jamal, when he met with the media this week, said when he was hurt last year and, and in the offseason when he had to go and study film, he was able to identify what his teammates were doing around him, and now he knows where to take the chances. It's not just about understanding the defense. Exactly. It's your teammates. It's knowing how the guys around you will react. Because, again, if, if Quandre Diggs isn't reading it right and in the same place and on the same frame of mind, it can be a disaster. But if you guys are on the same page, then great things can happen. Well, and what the Seahawks would like to do is see the defense jump out and be that steady force early, not wait to the second half of the season. And there's really only one way to avoid that up-and-down season on defense. Really, a couple of basics would be the consistency, one, and elimination of, of explosive plays. You know, it, it, Last year was a really unusual year. Um, we were scoring so much early in, in games and early, and we got ahead so far that we, we gave up just an extraordinary amount of yards in the in fourth quarters. I mean, we gave up 100 80 or 200 yards in the fourth quarter and all your numbers look crazy you know and in we didn't handle that situation well enough. I hope we get ahead again and we can do all the, have that same challenge, you know. But um, the season changed some, and, and the whole and we shifted with it and took advantage of it and, and just got better as we went along. We were giving away easy stuff, you know. We were giving away just catch and run stuff and just wasn't we weren't as sharp um, as we needed to be. And when the teams go into that mode and they're in a you know in a two minute situation for a quarter, they, they put up a lot of yards. You don't have to do a whole lot to do that. You just keep dinking the ball around and it works. So. We have to be better in that situation, but we got to get rid of explosives and we got to be more consistent. Yeah, I mean, to me, if on offense, if the big storyline is, you know, the new offense and how do things look, on defense, the big story to me is, can this be the second half? Can they pick up where they left in the second half and be that team on defense versus the one in the first eight games of the season that was getting gashed quite a bit, as Pete Carroll said, giving up a lot of big plays, a lot of yards. And if they can, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for this team. They don't even need to be – I mean, they. I think they were tied for the fewest points allowed in the second half of the season. That would be awesome if they can do that. They don't even need to be that good, not as much firepower as they have on offense. But just, you know, be, be a really strong, solid defense throughout the year, and that's where I think this team can go from being a really good team to a great one. 
All right, we have got to touch on Sunday's matchup. We're going to do this in like three minutes, John. All right. Ready? When we think about the Colts, here's what we know. Carson Wentz is going to be the quarterback. Yes. He reunites with Frank Reich. They worked together in Philadelphia the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and then that's when by far Carson Wentz looked the best was with Frank Reich leading. And that, the big question is, you know, how – how ready is he going to be for the season? He's been injured. He's been on the COVID list. He's barely practiced really before this week. So it, it helps that he's going to know the offense, but he hasn't really practiced with the, these teammates a ton. So, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how their offense comes out firing. Well, and again, we've already mentioned that T.Y. Hilton is not going to be playing. What we have not mentioned is the running backs that they have available. And if you have not heard of Jonathan Taylor, well, you should probably watch out because he stands out. Both those guys, they're just an explosive play waiting to happen. And the speed that they have, so sometimes guys run really good times and you don't notice it. You notice it with these two guys. Both these guys have rocket acceleration, and they're both strong enough to break tackles and, and make the most of a play that isn't necessarily a good play. I, I think, I'm not sure about this, you guys verify this one, but I, I think uh, Jonathan's got like 600-something yards after contact last season. I mean, uh, that's crazy numbers. That's half of his rushing yards was after he was hit and, you know, and, and uh, had a chance to get tackled, and he didn't let it happen. So um, those are fantastic players. In fact, it was 685 yards wow. after contact. Look at you, Jen. 35 runs of 10 or more yards. That was the third most in the league, and he forced 41 missed tackles. And it's not just him. Having Hines back there is – more the you know pass catching he led the team in receptions last year i mean that's having that dual threat at running back it's you know it's what p carroll always talks about his ideal is and whether injuries or different things the seahawks haven't always had that and that's what the colts have going right now all right here's what we've got going for us hot seat time uh-oh yeah two things that you need to have happen on sunday for the seahawks to get a win do you want me to go first sure do if you you'd like no you go right ahead Jen. okay here's what i'm gonna say I would like to see the Seahawks' defense limit Jonathan Taylor's explosive plays. I would ideally like to not see him get a run over 10 yards, but you know what? If he does that twice during the game, I'm probably okay, but limit those overall yards. And the Indianapolis Colts' defense made a goal of 40 takeaways this year. I need to see the Seahawks' offense take care of the football. Make them get 40 in 16 games That's instead of exactly 17. That's right. There yes. you go. All right. Offensively, I want to see maybe no penalties is asking too much, but very few penalties. To me, that's when you're talking about new offense and some newness, that's where sometimes things could just – you make it hard on yourself. We've seen it over and over again. You get that false start, that hold. Just avoid those. You know, make Let's say keep it under three offensive penalties. Give, the, give this new offense a chance to function without you know self-inflicted wounds. Defensively, I want to see the pass rush. We we talked about, you know, kind of two different defenses last year. The pass rush getting better was what really helped the turnaround. So let's see him get after Carson Wentz, get some sacks, get a lot of hits on him. I'll say, give me three or more sacks. Okay. That's impressive. I would love to see all of those things happen. We will see how we did, and we will see how the Seahawks do in week one. And, of course, break that down for you the next time. We are back with you on Seahawks Insiders Podcast. Thank you.